excited to beginning a new be beginning a new sermon series titled "Don't Be Dumb," and so I think it only fitting to share one of the dumbest things I ever did. Anybody want to hear that? So back in two thousand, uh, thank you, Ben. Um, back in two thousand four, I was selling insurance and investment products for a nationally known Fortune five hundred company. They had invested hours and hours and hours in training me, and I had taken two-hour-long tests to prove that I had learned all the things that they had taught me. And so I was a registered representative, and for those of you who ever worked in financial services, you know that, that means you've taken a lot of tests, you've done a lot of studying. I was doing uh, additional in information and additional training on top of that, all about asset allocation and diversify and all of those things. And I was meeting with people and recommending to them, make sure that, especially if you don't have a lot, make sure that you diversify. And then I got a hot stock tip. Has anybody ever gotten a hot stock tip? Well, this hot stock tip was for innovative card technologies. Have any of you ever heard of innovative card technologies? No, that might be foreshadowing where this is going. Um, so I waited until I had a month with a really good sale. And if you've ever been in commission sales, you know that happens every now and then. I had... It wasn't that we had a lot of extra money, but I had a little extra money that month, and I invested $2,000 in innovative card technologies, ticker symbol INVC. And uh, the, the thought was, you know, this was a sure thing. They were creating a special credit card back before smartphones and dual-factor authentication and all that stuff that would have an algorithm so that when you went to use that card, there would be an algorithm number on the card that you would enter in and that would verify that you had the card, you were in possession of the card, all that stuff. Totally irrelevant technology today. Um, well, they never made it to market and uh, I bought $2,000 worth of INVC at $2 a share. It was supposed to go to 40 like within a quarter or two because everybody was going to want this technology. And long story short, INVC was D-U-M-B. It was dumb. And not only was it dumb, I knew better. I was advising people to do better and do different things with their money. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. And to make matters worse, if I had followed my advice, the advice that I was giving to other people, and I had put that $2,000 into my favorite mutual fund at the time, it would be worth $9,513 today. That mutual fund has done very, very well. And the clients that I sold that mutual fund to have done very, very well by putting their money into that. And so that's one of the dumbest things I've ever done, and uh, at least financially. I've got other categories. Maybe you do too, right? Um, but this sermon series is, is we're going to have a little bit of fun um, with this idea, don't be dumb. Don't do dumb things. Like, the Bible is full of wisdom, and we want to dig deep into God's wisdom and see if that can help us uh, to not do some of the dumb things that we fall prone to. We're not necessarily setting aside our focus on discipleship, uh, which we've been focused on all year. We're taking a little lighter approach to it. Um, but in a way, as I was thinking through this, this really could have been week eight in our Heart of a Disciple series because the heart of a disciple is wise. And the prayer of a disciple is that God would give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. 
even if it's hard. And it starts with knowing what God wants us to do. Fortunately, he has taken a lot of the guesswork out of it. He has revealed his will to us, his moral will for us, his spiritual will for us, his relational will for us, his financial will for us. And so he has given us wisdom to know what to do. And so in the Don't Be Dumb series, we'll take a fun or humorous approach to some really serious subjects. And uh, I think it's okay to have fun in church. Do you? Is that okay? Can we all agree for the next four or five weeks we might just have a little bit of fun? We might laugh a little bit more than we, than we normally do. Let's just be honest. Sometimes the subject matter is a little heavier. Other times we can approach it with a little bit of levity. Um, so I want to start with uh, a story from the Old Testament uh, that, that happens to be uh, someone you've probably heard of and probably heard of in connection with wisdom. And so if you would turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 5 through 15. 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 5 through 15. Uh, this is a story you may have heard about somebody you probably heard of. The context is that Solomon is uh, now the king of, of Israel. His father, David, has died. Somebody else tried to seize the kingdom, and they were able to put that down. And so now Solomon is the king, and we have reason to believe that he's a teenager at the time, and uh, he's seeking to make a good first impression, to make some good first steps, some good first moves in the kingdom. And uh, at the time, some people had gotten in the bad habit of going up to high places and offering sacrifices there instead of offering sacrifices uh, where the Lord had prescribed that they would offer sacrifices. So that's kind of the context here. He has gone up to one of these greatest high places uh, called Gibeon. That's where we pick up the story in verse 5. At, Gibe at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. So pause for a second. What would you ask for? Anybody ever play the, the kind of the daydream growing up? Like you find the genie in the desert, even though you never go to a desert, and you rub the lamp and the genie pops out and you get three wishes. And I always made my third wish had and in it like 15 times. It's really just one wish. I'm just and, 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 and. If you plan it out, what would you ask for? If you had this experience with the Lord and he said, anything you want, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Well, Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? All right, back to the question I asked three verses ago. Is that what you would have asked for? Especially if you were a teenage boy? So this is pretty remarkable, isn't it? That that's what he was after. That's what he was seeking. That's what he wanted. 
And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. And so I think it's interesting, this story is... Not one we need to pick apart necessarily. You can follow the narrative pretty well, but don't miss what happened in verse 15. He immediately made a change. He left the high place, the place of, that the idolatry type of worship was taking place, and he returned to the place that God had prescribed, into the tabernacle. This was before the temple. Into the tabernacle, and he made sacrifices before the ark, the ark of the covenant, If any of you are in the Banding Together journals and you're reading the Old Testament option one, you've been reading through Exodus, and so this kind of hit home for me. We've been reading about the tabernacle and how it was to be constructed in each of the articles and so forth. And so there's a vivid image in my mind, and and that's where he goes. He makes a change. He immediately begins to act with the wisdom that he has sought from God. He no longer offers the sacrifice in the high places. He goes to the place where God said we are. To sacrifice. And that leads us into our bottom line. Going to give it to you early, give it to you a couple more times. But the bottom line, and this is a no brainer, but it's true. The wise are wise because they seek wisdom, and the dumb are dumb because they don't. You don't accidentally become wise. Okay? I'm sorry. You just don't. If that was your plan, if that was your hope, it's probably not going to work out. The wise are wise. Because they seek wisdom. They seek wisdom. Sort of like the verse that that Pastor Zach shared in the welcome. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you seek wisdom with all your heart, God wants you to have it. He wants you to have wisdom from his word. And if you seek it, you will find it. The wise are wise because they seek wisdom. The dumb are dumb because they don't. Why was Solomon so wise? Because he sought wisdom above everything else, above all the other things that a teenage boy might have wanted, a brand new king might have wanted. The thing he wanted most was wisdom. And history has borne out the fact that Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. And I think it's interesting, and I think there's an important lesson. He didn't just want the wisdom for himself. If you read that story in 1 Kings chapter 3, you'll see that he wanted it so that he could govern the people with wisdom and justice. And we see as we move into Proverbs chapter 1 that he did not just want this wisdom for himself. He wanted to transmit the wisdom to the people of Israel, to the people of God, that there would be a, a spirit of wisdom among the nation of Israel. So if you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, this is the opening to an entire book of wise sayings, most of which are attributed to Solomon. 
And they're one of the greatest sources of wisdom, both internal wisdom, interpersonal wisdom, leadership wisdom, financial wisdom, all sorts of wisdom can be found in the book of Proverbs. And I want to look at sort of the prologue or the introduction to Proverbs. And uh, I'll just read a couple of verses or a verse at a time and just look at what, what Solomon is saying here as he opens this up. And we're told in the chapter heading or the the paragraph heading here that this is the prologue and it identifies the purpose and theme of the entire book of Proverbs. And so here we we read in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's identifying himself. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. And so let's stop there and let's look at the two phrases there. First, that, that it's for attaining wisdom and discipline. This is sort of the what behind what, what Solomon is going to write out here. The what is to attain wisdom and discipline. This has to do with our thought light. It has to do with our intellect. Because this is dealing with discernment. Uh, when we talk about wisdom, it's the ability to discern the right way, the right path, the right, uh, what is true, what is, what is good, what is valuable. And then discipline has to do with instruction or correction, that, that sometimes there's an instruction, and if you miss the instruction, then you get the correction. Those of you who have young children understand all about this. You give instruction, and then they don't follow the instructions, so now there's discipline. And the same works in our relationship with God. He gives us instruction. If we don't follow the instructions, discipline follows. And so that's the first thing that Solomon wanted to impart, or the first reason, purpose behind writing the book of Proverbs, was that we would attain wisdom and discipline. And second, that we would understand words of insight. And basically, it's kind of an awkward way of saying it in the original language, understanding words of understanding, right? You're, you're understanding words of insight, words of understanding, that, that you would have the ability to understand the words of understanding from others. That's why he's writing all this down. And, and understanding is an important word. It, it has to do with the knowledge or the object of knowledge, uh, but particularly the meaning behind that. And so you've probably heard me say before, whenever you read a passage of Scripture and go to study your Bible, you want to ask three questions. What does it say? What does that mean? How does that apply? What does it say? What does that mean? How does that apply? Understanding is that middle piece that bridges what the text says to how it applies. It's when we begin to understand what does that actually mean, and now what is that meaning? How do I apply that meaning to my life so that I can be different tomorrow because I came to church today, or I can be different tomorrow because I interacted with God's Word today? And all of this has to do with renewing our minds. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I quote this all the time, he said, therefore do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Conformed, you just get in your rut and you go with the ways of the world. He says, no, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind, so that you can test and approve. That's where we bring application in. We renew our mind, we learn things, we see the meaning behind those things and how they then apply to our lives. So there's a progression. There's knowing, then there's understanding, and then there's doing. There's 
applying what we have learned to our lives and making changes because behavior always reflects core beliefs and so if your core beliefs are wrong and therefore your behaviors are wrong you can try behavior modification but if you don't change the root belief that modifies or motivates that behavior then you'll slip back into that but if you can change what you believe and bring it in line with God's truth then your behavior will follow that and so that's essentially what Solomon is saying. He's a pretty wise guy. Uh, then in verse 3, he continues, For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. First, acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. So now he's moving beyond the thoughts and the intellect to a lifestyle, to a wise and prudent uh, behavior. There's an emphasis here in verse 3 on action. So we've moved to right thinking to now we're talking about right action, that we would acquire a disciplined and prudent life, not just disciplined and prudent thoughts. And we would do what is right and just and fair. And I think those are three key words. They're important words. I don't think they were just picked randomly. That which is right has to do with morality, that we would do what is right, what is morally right as God has a moral law that you can read all about in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so we know what is right and we do what is right. What is just, just has to do with legality. That there are things that are legally right and legally wrong. And there are things that might be morally right but aren't legally right. Or morally wrong, but not legally wrong, especially today, where we've tried to legislate morality into the fabric of a culture, but if people are immoral at the root, then you can't print enough laws fast enough. If they're not motivated internally by a sense of morality to do the right thing, then the legality is not enough. But Psalm is saying that we would be doing and behaving in a way that is right morally, that is just that is legally just, that there's a sense of justice, and then fairness. Fairness speaks to our relational actions, that when we interact with one another, there is fairness in our dealings. And so you don't take advantage of another person, even if there's not a law against it. You say, that's not fair. I heard about a car dealership in uh, North Carolina that intentionally limits its profits to never take advantage because of the knowledge that they have of the industry of a, of a person on either side of the transaction. Whether they're trading in a car, they don't take advantage of somebody's lack of knowledge. They limit their profits on that trade-in and they limit their profits when they go to sell that vehicle to somebody else. And they've been incredibly prosperous. And people shake their head. How do you become so incredibly prosperous when you intentionally limit your profits? And I think it's right here in Proverbs uh, 1, verse 3. They, they sought to do what is right and just and fair. Not one out of three or two out of three, but three out of three, right and just and fair. That's a purpose that Solomon has in writing out the book of Proverbs. Then in verse 4, uh, we see sort of the who. If we started with the what, the intellectual, the how, then in verse 3, now we're into the who. Who, giving prudence to the simple. That's, that's who he has in mind here. Giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. So those are his, his two primary audiences, are those who are simple, who are, do not have 
this wisdom already that, that might be naive or might be just a little too open-minded or just plain foolish, ignorant. It's not a slam to say that they're ignorant, that you don't know what you don't know. But he had them in mind that those who, who are simple would gain this wisdom, this prudence, this ability to think and to make wise decisions. It's not just for the elite. I think that's the good news. This is not just for the upper echelon. This was not just something that was printed out or written down for the high society. He wanted it for everyone, for the simple, for the young, giving knowledge and discretion to the young. And I think the reason behind that is that the young might learn from somebody else's mistakes. Maybe you've heard that before. Learn from other people's mistakes as often as you can. That way you don't have to make them yourself. Make sure you learn from your own mistakes, but whenever you can, learn from the mistakes of somebody else. Learn from the wisdom of the wise. And we all know there's a difference between the young and wise and the old and wise, right? The young and wise maybe have a lot of knowledge, but they haven't had the time for that knowledge to, to really begin to bear fruit, to drive deep into their, to their mind, to really guide their thinking and their actions. But he's basically saying, learn from your mistakes, but whenever possible, learn from the mistakes of others. Don't settle for book knowledge. Get some street sense to go with it. That there's both contained in the book of Proverbs, and he's about to share that with us. And I think it's important to understand that he was intentional. He wanted to share the wisdom that he had received from God. He didn't want to keep it for himself. That was part of his original prayer, that, that I may rule wisely and govern these people well, and part of that for him meant to transmit that to others. So he went to, you know, this was not as easy as it is today. He didn't just write up a blog post and click, publish. He had to get scribes to copy this and circulate it throughout the nation so that people had access to this wisdom and could learn this wisdom. And so then we see in verse 5 and 6 sort of his desire for his readers. We've talked about his purpose statement. Now we see his desire for his readers, that the wise, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So he wants the wise to keep getting wiser. This is not just for the simple, not just for the young, but also that the wise would get wiser. That basically we would add learning and discernment and we would get more guidance for understanding. And it would be sort of cyclical that we never really stop. We never really say we're finished. We never really say, we're done. I got enough wisdom. Thank you very much. Give it to somebody else. We keep seeking it. We keep looking for it. We keep trying to apply it. We keep trying to transmit it to other people because I think it's dumb to quit seeking wisdom. I just don't think that's something that the truly wise people do. They continue. And we all know people who maybe... uh, elevated throughout their work life in their career and got very very wise in that specific sphere and maybe they were in the top one or two percent in the world in that sphere because they worked a whole career there and they reached a a level of mastery and then when they retire 
they sort of retire into boredom. They stop seeking wisdom. They stop seeking the next hill to climb. And, and it's sort of a tragedy when, when that takes place. And we know people who have done just the opposite. And they, they use their retirement years to take on a new skill or to reach mastery in some other area, something that maybe was always just a hobby. And they move that hobby up to a higher level. And they say, I want to learn here. I want to grow here. I want to I be wise in these ways and wise in the things of God. And then verse 6, to understand Proverbs and parables, it is progressive, it is cyclical, that the better you understand all of the wisdom of God, the better you'll understand each specific piece of the wisdom of God. And the better you understand each specific piece, you'll understand all of the wisdom of God. When I was in, um, when I was in seminary, we talked about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, a big funny word. But hermeneutics basically says that you understand each of the parts better when you understand the whole better. And you understand the whole better when you understand each of the parts better. And so if you apply that to, say, the book of Proverbs, as you understand each verse in the book of Proverbs, you understand all of the Proverbs better. And as you understand all of the book of Proverbs better, you understand each specific verse better. So you never really stop. You never really say, oh, check, we're done. I'm as wise as I'm ever going to be. I don't need to pursue that any longer. And then in verse 5, this is a famous, famous verse. You've probably seen it. I'm sorry, verse 7. Famous, famous verse. You've probably seen it before. It's sort of the conclusion of this prologue. And it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so there's some key words there in verse 7. First, fear. This doesn't mean to be afraid, to be afraid of God. It's talking about a reverence or a piety, the, the, the fear of the Lord, the, to revere God, to be in awe of God, and to seek to be like God is the beginning of wisdom. So it all starts with him. It all starts on a foundation of fearing God. That's the beginning of of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom, is to fear God. It's the beginning, it's the initial, it's the principal step, it's foundational. If you've built that foundation, or you've built that pursuit of wisdom on anything other than God and His wisdom, then, then you missed the first step. We need to go back. But it also is interesting, he says, but fools despise wisdom. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to be the foolish. There's a number of different words that get translated here um, that we translate as, as fool um, or as ignorant or stupid, or there's even an element of moral deficiency. Like, you know right and wrong, but there's a deficiency there. That's foolish. That's foolish because it hurts you and it hurts others when we don't follow the morality that God has revealed to us. And to despise has two meanings. It means to disrespect, to disrespect wisdom and discipline, or to devalue wisdom and discipline. And so he's basically saying that's what fools do. They disrespect it. They don't hold it in high regard, and they devalue it. They say, it's not worth my time. It's not worth my time to pursue wisdom. It's not worth my time to spend time in God's word. They devalue it. They say, I I need to play video games, or I need to do this, or I need to watch sports, or I need to do a thousand other things that aren't bad in and of themselves. But when we put them above seeking wisdom from God, then we're devaluing them. 
And so it doesn't mean just that you hate them. I mean, that's what comes to mind when I think of despising. Uh, That word in the original language can, can also mean to disrespect or to devalue. And so just keep in mind, our bottom line, the wise are wise because they seek wisdom. Solomon is writing to you if you are seeking wisdom. He understands this, and he wants you to find wisdom when you seek it. And the dumb are dumb because they don't. And I did dumb things, not because I didn't know, but because I didn't do. If we go back to the story at the beginning, it wasn't a lack of knowledge. It was a lack of application of that knowledge to my specific circumstances. And so if you, may, you may have noticed the beginning of, of the message. The title was The Supremacy of Wisdom. We've talked about the foundational aspect of wisdom. Now we're going to talk about the, the supremacy of wisdom, something Solomon wrote uh, just a few pages over in Proverbs 4, verse 7. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says that wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. This is what the wisest person who ever lived had to say about wisdom. He said, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And so we can think about all the things that culture says are supreme. And the big three in culture are money, sex, and power. Okay, that's what culture, that's what the world, that's what the ways of the world scream at us. And they want you to substitute one of those three things for wisdom. And what's at the heart of wisdom? Fear of the Lord, right? So you see how this is all linked together, that fearing God and and, uh, attaining that wisdom is supreme. So the wisest thing you can do is seek wisdom. And I guarantee you, it's much easier to find it if you're looking for it. If you make it a priority to look for wisdom, you will find it if you look for it in the right places. But we got to talk about that for a second, because there are a lot of places that the world says to look for wisdom, right? You've got things like philosophy, you've got things like other religions and enlightenment and this idea that, that all religions point to God, which is not true. Not all religions point to God. Most religions point back to you as God in some, sort, some form of humanism or that your own enlightenment is the ideal. But Christianity, God's enlightenment, his revelation to us through his word is that he is at the foundation of all the wisdom that ever was. That all truth is God's truth. That truth is, in fact, a person named Jesus Christ who identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And that we attain the wisdom of his worldview when we seek it from him, when we seek it from his word. And so it's interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and we were talking about this idea that everybody is a disciple of something. Everybody is being discipled by something or someone. And maybe you're discipled by fantasy football, or maybe you're discipled by uh, some other thing. Maybe you're discipled by current events and news or some other area of life. But to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, remember, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to build a relationship with him to learn to trust and follow him. And to disciple someone else is to build a relationship with them in order to teach them to trust and follow Jesus. That there is a difference between Christian discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus Christ and all the other things that we can be disciples of. 
And that's why Dallas Willard has said that Christian discipleship is learning to effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he were me. To learn to effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he were me. That as you learn to trust and follow Jesus, as you build a relationship with Jesus through his word, through prayer, through journaling, through worship, through celebration, through study, through all of these spiritual disciplines that we come back to Jesus over and over again, that we build a relationship with him and we learn to trust him and follow him and we learn to effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he were me. In another place, Dallas Willard kind of speaks on that, that word effortlessly. That it's not how hard you try, it's how easy it becomes to follow Jesus. That the heart of discipleship is, is not how hard you try. You roll up your sleeves, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you grit and bear it, and you work really hard. No, he's saying it's, it's not how hard you try, it's how easy it becomes. That there's a renovation of the heart that takes place, there's a renovation of the soul and spirit of a person, that it becomes quite easy to do what Jesus would do if he were me over time. It doesn't happen right out of the gates. Trust me. But over time, it becomes easier and easier to follow Jesus, not harder and harder. And so I was reminded this week of a time about three months into my first senior pastorate. I, we had moved our little family of six from Casper, Wyoming to West Virginia, to Charleston, West Virginia. We told people we could have moved to Canada, and it would have been less of a culture shock than going from Casper, Wyoming to Charleston, West Virginia. And in my first three months, I had a high-profile divorce with, uh, you know, some people that were on stage every week leading worship. They, they, these two got together and left these two out of the mix, and two marriages were dissolved, two families were rocked. Then I had a board elder meltdown thing, and I was, I was reeling. I was three months into my first senior pastorate, and all kinds of stuff was going wrong. And I remember praying one time. I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I, I don't have a clue what to do. And James 1, 5 came to mind. If anyone lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We looked at that verse last week. I said, okay, God, here I am. (laughs) I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to ask you for wisdom. And I'm not going to say it was an audible voice, but it might as well have been. I felt like he said, you already have it. And my mind went to the book of Proverbs. And I couldn't tell you the last time I had read through the book of Proverbs. And I spent a chapter a day just studying, reading in various translations. For the next six months, I read through Proverbs in one translation and study Bible. Then I get another one. I'm a a pastor. We've got a lot of different Bibles, a lot of different study Bibles and so forth. And I I started posting a scripture verse from Proverbs every day. And that was when I began the habit of posting a scripture verse from from Proverbs on my Facebook every day. And then after six months, I finally felt like I'm starting to gain the wisdom and have a a context for leading these people that are very different from me in some ways and very similar in others. And I began to read other parts of the Bible and, and never really got away from Proverbs. I make it a point to read through Proverbs at least once, if not twice, every year. And to not just read through it, but really to say in each chapter, God, what's the one or two verses that you really want to say to me right now today? And it's amazing how often there's a situation, something that is I'm chewing on, some issue that I'm not getting resolution, and it will speak into that. It wasn't like that the first time through. It wasn't like that the second time through. But it started the third, fourth, fifth, and now seven years later, 
probably 15-20 times through there's an understanding and Proverbs come to mind as I face difficult situations and so I want to encourage you with that and if you're not reading the Banding Together journal I'd love for you to start but if you're not going to do that if you're just like no not now not this year maybe next year maybe some other time if you got your heels dug in on that then let's pivot and I want to encourage you to read a chapter of Proverbs every day for the next 31 days and see if God doesn't give you some supernatural divine wisdom for some situation in your life. So I want to encourage you that. And if you are already doing the Banding Together journal, then this can be like some extra credit for you. You can read a chapter of Proverbs in three to five minutes. You could get out a study Bible and dig into one or two verses for another five minutes. In ten minutes a day, you, you could get wiser. You could seek wisdom. Because the wise are wise because they seek wisdom. And the dumb are dumb because they don't. So don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Seek wisdom. And if you're here or you're watching online and you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ and something else is discipling you, making you a follower of it and its worldview, then the smartest, wisest thing you could do right now is to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. To recognize your need of a Savior. To recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that God, out of His gracious provision, has made a way for even sinners like me to have that relationship with God. To draw near to Him. And to be discipled by Him. To become like Him. To learn to trust and follow Him. And if you've done that, I just want to encourage you, commit. To wisdom over these next five Sundays, today and the next four, you could become a wiser person. If you will seek it, it probably won't happen on accident. And I'm probably not a good enough preacher that you will become noticeably wiser as a result of just coming to church. Spend time in God's Word every day for the next 31 days, and I guarantee you, you'll become a wiser person. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you that you promise when we seek wisdom, we will find it. That you have provided it to us, that you have revealed your ways to us. And that you invite us to adopt those ways as our own. And so I pray, God, that we would be a people who respond in faith and who make a commitment to seek wisdom to seek your wisdom and to seek to apply your wisdom to our lives, that we would dig deep into your wisdom and that we would make that supreme. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.